chapter 6 begins with these words. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Hovering around him were mighty seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with remaining two they flew. In a great chorus they sang, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The glorious singing shook the temple to its foundations in the entire sanctuary and was filled with smoke. Then I said, my destruction is sealed for I am a sinful man and a member of a sinful race. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew over to the altar and picked up a burning coal with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed. Your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom shall I send as a messenger to my people? Who will go for us? And I said, Lord, I'll go. Send me. Bless God to bless this reading, his holy and inspired word. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, would you let this word sink deeply into our hearts, into our spirits, into our lives, so that we may love you with all of our strength, with all of our minds, with all of our hearts, and become more and more a reflection of your presence in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in this brief reading today, we see that Isaiah has had an encounter with God. And I just have a very, very simple question this morning. A very simple question for you, a very simple question for myself. Uh, It's a very simple question, but it may be the most important question you ever ask or answer. Uh, And certainly the consequences of the question are more important than any other question you'll ever encounter. The question I have for you this morning, the question I have for myself this morning is this. Have you encountered God? Have you had an encounter with God? Have you experienced the presence of God in your life? One of my favorite quotes, sometimes uh, when I start talking about the experience of the presence of God, people get nervous and think that... uh, um, I'm losing touch with solid theology and everything. Uh, this, this is, this is uh, my favorite quote from John Calvin. John Calvin thought like this. This is what John Calvin said. He said, listen, he said, the way that we know God is the way that we know thunder by experiencing it. The way that we know God is the way that we know thunder. We experience it question for you this morning is, have you experienced the thunder of God in your life? Do you know that you have had an encounter with God? Or is God just a concept for you? Is God just a belief? Is God just an idea? Is God uh, just a theory? Is God a concept or is God the experience that grounds who you are? 
You say, well, I don't know that I've ever had an experience like Isaiah is describing here. And so when we ask the question, have you ever encountered God? Have you ever had an experience with God? Uh, We want to ask that question and be very, very clear and be very, very careful in a number of different ways. The first thing that we want to do is be very careful and say that not everybody who encounters God has the same kind of experience that Isaiah had. Uh, It it won't always be uh, the burning coals and it won't be the glorious vision. It won't always be uh, the terrifying experience that Isaiah had uh, in this uh, encounter. Uh, In fact, what we find in the scriptures is that God comes to individuals in very, very personal and very, very unique ways. Uh, God comes to the prophet Jeremiah in a very different way than what he comes to, to Isaiah. God comes to Mary in a different way than he comes to Isaiah. Uh, it's as if God says to uh, some who come with a lot of fear, a lot of timidity, a lot of hesitancy, very withdrawn, God comes to them and says, listen, I am your God. I am your God. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to fear. And God comes to others who are full of themselves and arrogant and brash. And God says to them, I am your God. Be very afraid. I am the God here and not you. God comes to individuals in very different ways. God comes to Paul very differently than God comes to Thomas. God comes to you in precisely the way precisely the moment with precisely the word that God knows will connect with your position, with your moment in life. But how do you know if you have encountered God? How do you know if fundamentally you have experienced God in your life or if God is just a concept for you? So the idea of God's glory Uh, helps us to begin to get an answer to that question. Uh, The idea of God's glory is present all through this chapter. Uh, It's interesting that when God shows up in the temple that day, Isaiah doesn't say what? He doesn't say, oh my goodness, now I believe that God is real. Now I know that there is a God. Uh, Isaiah has always believed that there is a God. He's always had God as a concept, God as a belief. That's never been in, in doubt for Isaiah. Now, Isaiah says, I have seen the glory of God. God's glory has been present uh, before me. And what Isaiah says is, when he sees the glory of God, God's glory fills the earth. Uh, In verse 3, God's glory fills the earth. And the singing about God's glory shakes the temple. So let's just camp out on that word glory for a while together this morning. Uh, Glory is a Hebrew word that literally means weight. Uh, It has to do with uh, substance. It has to do with permanence. It has to do with massiveness. Uh, When the the scriptures say that uh, God's glory is present, what that means is that God is heavier, God is weightier, God is more permanent than anything else. God is most real. Uh, compared to God, nothing else has substance. Nothing else matters. Nothing is as real as God is real. So uh, the idea of God is weighty. God is heavy. God is massive. Uh, So 
I uh, just want to give a couple of examples of what that looks like. James, I'd like you to hold on to this for me here a minute, buddy. This is just a little marble. How does that feel? Heavy. Hold it up in the air. How long could you hold that up in the air? For a while? How about this one? This is just a little, this is a little plastic container. How long could you hold that up in the air? It's crashing into your lap. All right, we'll pass this around a little bit and let somebody else give it a try. How does that feel? It's a little tiny marble there. <laughs> it's really heavy. Tungsten is heavy, right? I love it in Midland that we have access to something like tungsten. So, Chris Wrench, thank you for the uh, special. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for access to the special uh, aids here. You want to see how heavy that is? Use two hands. Yeah. <laughs> it's super heavy. You know how tungsten feels. Yeah. How long could you hold that up in the air? Not too long. That's right. So tungsten is probably one of the most dense uh, elements that you'll ever put in your hands. It's weighty. It's heavy. Uh, it has density. And uh, the impressive thing about that uh, little ball of tungsten is that you look at it, and it doesn't look like it's going to weigh that much. And a lot of times, uh, when we look at God, we think about God, and we say, God is spirit. God is light. God is wind. God doesn't weigh that much. There isn't that much substance. There isn't that much density to God. And the scriptures come and say, no, 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 no. Listen, God is glorious. God is weighty. God is heavy. God is dense. God is incredibly substantial. God's presence fills the earth. God's presence comes and displaces everything else. So imagine if we had this little ball of tungsten and we dropped it into uh, a tub of water. It's heavy, yeah? Yeah. If we dropped this into a tub of water, what would happen? It would sink, right? What, what, uh, does anybody think this would float bobbing on the surface? Is there any chance, Chris, that this is going to float? No, there's no chance. Uh, this is incredibly uh, dense compared to water. So you know that if you take an object that's heavier, denser uh, than water, and you drop it into the water, what happens? It displaces the water, right? The water moves away. The water is pushed to the side. Why? Because the water... The, 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 the little ball of tungsten has more glory than the water has glory. It has more weight. It has more density. It has more substance to it. It's interesting that any time the glory of God in the Bible comes into our world, what happens? Everything else is displaced. Everything else is pushed to the side. Everything else is rearranged around the presence of God's glory that fills the earth. And so God's glory comes and we see earthquakes. Right? If if we had a big enough ball of tungsten and dropped it on the floor here, right? Everybody would feel the tremor. Right? Everybody would feel the earthquake. And so think about when God's glory comes down to Mount Sinai and what happens on the uh, on the desert uh, landscape. Right? The glory of God comes down onto the mountain, and the people feel it in their bones. The earth shakes. The earth quakes beneath them. 
Think about the moment that Jesus dies on the cross. What happens? The earth quakes. Rocks are split in half. The glory of God displaces everything around it. God is more glorious, more real, even than death itself. When the disciples are gathered in the upper room, waiting for God's spirit to be given to them, and the mighty wind of Pentecost begins to blow, what happens? The earth shakes. The glory of God is present. Think about Paul and Silas in the prison cell, hopelessly captured, in chains, bound. And what happens? The glory of God comes, and the earth shakes, and the chains drop free. God's presence is heavier, weightier, more substantial, more glorious than the weight of those chains or prison bars. God's glory is ultimate. Compared to God, everything else has no density. It has no substance. It isn't real. God is like spiritual tungsten dropping into a house of cards, and everything else is displaced by it. And when God's glory comes into your life, God has more glory than you do. God has more weight than you do. God has more substance than you do. When God's glory comes into your life, everything in your life is displaced. Everything in your life is pushed to the side. And that's how you know if you've had an encounter with God or not. That's how you know if you have brushed up into the presence of God and experienced God, or if God for you is just a concept. If God is a part of your life in such a way that not much in your life has changed, if God is a part of your life in such a way that not much has been rearranged, if your beliefs and your values and your goals and your agendas all are pretty much the same, then for you, God is a concept. Nothing has been displaced. Nothing has been rearranged. Nothing has been changed. God is a concept. God as a concept is lighter than you are. God as a concept has less glory than you do. So you will shape God into the image that you need and want God to be. You'll shape God to fit your lifestyle. You'll shape God to fit your patterns and your beliefs. You are the rock dropped into the water, and the water shapes around you. So how do you see that in yourself? How do you know if you have God as a concept or God as an encounter of glory? Just a couple of bullet points. One is if you find yourself... Uh, saying prayers a lot, um, God bless me, God bless this thing that I'm about to do, God give your blessing to this endeavor. If you find yourself praying for some inspiration, for some help, uh, hoping to get God on your side and whatever it is that you're taking on, God becomes a resource for your agenda. Uh, if you uh, find yourself rejecting the parts of God that are in conflict with your desire to be safe to be comfortable, to be at ease. Uh, if your belief in God, if your, uh, if your relationship with God has never put you at odds with your culture, uh, with your employer, with your political party, with your family, with Oprah, if God has never put you at odds with anything in your culture. And if you have ever thought about leaving Christianity, if you've ever thought about giving up on the church because God has disappointed you, 
any of those things are true, then consider, please, it's possible that you have never encountered a glory that is greater than your own. Your concept of God has been customized, domesticated to suit you. On the other hand, when you encounter God's glory, everything will shift around. Everything in your life will be displaced as God drops into the midst of who you are. All of your beliefs, all of your values, all of your behaviors will be rearranged and reprioritized. When the real God comes into your life, when you actually get into the presence of this real God, uh, things give way to his glory. Things that you've always believed, things that you've deeply believed, things that you've deeply cherished will be changed by his word, will be changed by his glory, his presence, his density, his substance. Because God has more glory than your beliefs. Uh, your character will change because God has more glory than your character. Uh, your presence, the way that you carry yourself, uh, your demeanor, uh, what disappoints you, what angers you, what frustrates you, what gives you hope, what gives you joy, what you're drawn to, what you're drawn away from. All of those things will change because God has more glory than anything else. Years ago, writer Annie Dillard uh, observed this about the difference between God as a concept and God as an encounter. She wrote, Why do we people, she includes herself, why do we people in churches seem like cheerful, brainless tourists on a packaged tour of the absolute? He's not always that nice. On the whole, she says, I do not find Christians outside of the catacombs sufficiently sensible of conditions. Does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we so blithely invoke? Or, as I suspect, does no one believe a word of it? The churches are children playing on the floor with their chemistry sets, mixing up a batch of TNT to kill a Sunday morning. It's madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews, for the sleeping God may wake someday and take offense, or the waking God may draw us out where we can never return. She's describing an encounter with the glory of God, the weight of God, the substance of God that displaces and changes and rearranges everything. So here's Isaiah like the rest of us, getting up one morning and going to church. Isaiah strolls into the temple. And the reason he's so shocked is that the last person that he thought he would meet at church is God. Uh, when we come to church on a Sunday morning, we expect that we'll meet our friends. We expect that we'll see family. We expect that we'll see a pastor and maybe some worship leaders. We have expectations about who we, who we will meet. But who would have ever thought I'd actually meet God? in a worship service. Over the next few weeks, I'd like to just very subtly begin to change that expectation. Some of us here this morning, I know, are 
crystal clear that we've had such an encounter with God's glory. Uh, We have felt the weight of God. We know what it is to have the presence of God drop smack dab into the middle of our souls. And everything is shifted. Anger, bitterness, frustration, resentment has given way to gentleness and love. Um, Addictions that had a vice grip on our lives have given way to recovery and to wholeness. Uh, The big gaping hole in the middle of our hearts that we try so desperately to fill, either with sex or shopping or food or success or money or power or whatever else it is, or else that big gaping hole that we just live with and keeps drawing us back into cycles of shame and cratering our self-esteem and keeping us hidden and sidelined in life. That big gaping hole has been filled by the glory of God. We know, I know, that we have encountered God. I don't know how many times the prophet has encountered God. I don't know how many other times in his ministry and his life this happened for him, where he saw the presence of God so startling, so visible, so real. But I don't think it needs to be a lot. I don't think it needs to be all the time. In my own life, I would say a handful of times that the presence, the glory of God has brushed up into my life. There was a time when God healed me from a really significant clinical depression. Uh, There was a time when during a prayer time with friends. We knew the presence of God. There was a time or two in a worship service, a time or two in a quiet time, a handful of times. And even to describe that, I'm going to be very cautious, I'm going to be very careful. I think that when God comes in the Ten Commandments and says, don't take God's name in vain. He isn't primarily talking about don't use God's name to swear. What he's primarily talking about is don't attach God's name uh, indiscriminately to things. Don't use God as a trump card. Don't invoke God's name and, and, and use God's name to endorse every feeling, every experience, every shiver, every tear, every laughter. Uh, it isn't uh, a God sighting every time you see a kitty cat. Uh, We take God's name in vain uh, when we do that. So I don't want to take God's name in vain. I don't want to be glib. I don't want to to say too much. And I want to say, when you encounter the presence of God, the glory of God, even once, you'll never forget it. You'll never be the same. And I know that some of us here today have not encountered the glory of God. God is a concept. God is a concept is lighter than who you are. God is a concept is not a ball of tungsten dropping into the bucket of your life. It's a wadded up piece of paper that's just floating on the surface. 
It doesn't displace anything. It doesn't change anything. It doesn't make much of an impact at all. Now, I want to be cautious here, too. Because the Bible says that uh, God's Spirit blows wherever God's Spirit wills. Nobody can control or manipulate God. Nobody can manufacture or coerce a God experience for you. And yet, and yet, listen to this. God meets Isaiah in worship, in the temple, precisely where God said God would be. This is precisely where God said God would be. God says, I will live in that temple. I will be present in that place. God encounters Isaiah precisely where he said he will be. The temple as God's dwelling has now given way to the collection of God's people as God's dwelling. When you are assembled together, the scriptures say, you become collectively the dwelling of God. This is what Jesus promised would happen in John chapter 4 when he said that the Spirit of God would be poured out across all people. And this is precisely what does happen in Acts chapter 2 on Pentecost Sunday. You become the place of God's meeting. And so, and so, the expectation that I have, the hope, the longing, the prayer that I have, and that I invite you to join me in, is that in this place, that in the place where God said that he would be, when we gather, sometimes, for some of us, we would encounter the glory of God. And like a sailor who cannot control where the wind blows, but can only position the sails in the rudder and wait for the wind to do what the wind will do, every week we will come and we will set the sails and we will position the rudder and we will long for the wind to blow. It's no accident that Isaiah chapter 6 gives us the framework for worship in the Reformed Church. If you think about the pattern of our worship services, it lays precisely on Isaiah chapter 6. First, we come into the presence of God with singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then we have an experience of confession. I am a sinful person. I live in a land of sinful people, and I am undone. And then we have a moment of assurance where, where we hear those words week after week. You're forgiven. Your sins are cleansed and you are set free. Experience that coal touching your lips. Know that you are whole. And then we hear God's word. We hear God's message. We hear God saying, who will we send? And we end with a moment of response. Here am I. Send me. Every single week we live into this story. We set the sails, we position the rudder, and we long for the wind of the Spirit to blow. And so over the next few weeks we'll dig deeper into the patterns and practices of worship that we live together here collectively and corporately and that we live individually. And think about how it is that we do encounter the living God. 
And I invite you to set your heart on experiencing God's glory, to be crushed by the spiritual tungsten, to be shaken by the earthquake, to be rolled by the thunder until your life is pushed aside and you live in the presence of God. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are present here with us. Thank you that you have promised that you would meet us here in worship, that you inhabit our praise, that you are uh, dwelling wherever a handful of us gather. Lord, meet us. For those who have experienced the density and the weight and the massiveness of your presence, let your glory flow over our lives. Fill this temple, fill this life, fill this land. For those who are being very, very honest, maybe those who have sat here in this room for many decades, many um, Bible studies, many years of um, reading and thinking and even praying, and yet somehow um, you've remained a concept, a belief, an idea. Lord, let your thunderous presence be felt deep, disturbingly, lastingly in our midst. Lord, thank you for being our God. Amen.